0: We started a sermon series a few weeks ago out of the Book of Mark called Marvel. And we based that Marvel on the uh, the superheroes from the the TV and the comic book series. I want you to see a couple of the superheroes, the Marvel superheroes. You know these guys. Who is that? Who? Iron Man. Man. My personal favorite, Spider-Man. Wouldn't that be cool to be able to do the things that he could do? And you get bored in the sermon, you just out of here. You're up, up in the balcony. Who is that? Pastor Chris. <laughs> no, that is the Hulk. Okay, these guys have different, different characteristics. One's green. One, one was bitten by an atomic spider. You know, they have all kinds of different characteristics. But their purpose in life is to make people's lives better, to save people, to help people. They're difference makers, correct? Superheroes that are good guys our difference makers. In Mark chapter 2 this morning, starting at verse 1, we're going we're gonna to look at being a difference maker and how, how that you and I can learn from a story many of you have heard many times how we can be difference makers in our world today. Here's the first thing. People need your help. People need your help. Most of you know that. But let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. What a cool thing, you know, when Jesus preached how he packed the house. And and someday when we get to heaven, we'll get to hear Jesus preach and how great that will be. In verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralytic. Carried by four of them now here 's what 's going on Jesus had been in Capernaum if you were here a few weeks ago in mark chapter one they were in peter's house and Jesus heals peter's mother in law and he does all these great miracles then he goes out to the villages and the towns around and he preaches and and he shares Christ and salvation himself with these people and he 's come back to Capernaum Capernaum apparently was the city he made his base in Nazareth the northern part of palestine in in his era his own hometown of nazareth had kind of rejected him so they're there they're probably back in peter's house again that's going to be significant in a moment and he's preaching the word and while he's preaching four men are going to make a ruckus we're going to see in a little bit bringing someone to jesus we don't know exactly what this guy's problems all they were it says he was a paralytic he was paralyzed Whether that meant that he was paralyzed from the neck down or from the waist down, we know for sure he couldn't walk. And it says later they lowered him down on a mat. And that mat that they brought him in and they carried him on was basically a poor man's bedding. is what it amounted to. It might have been just as much as a couple of blankets folded over together, maybe with a little mat in between them. You know, here was a guy that had real problems. Folks, if you're paralyzed today and you couldn't walk today, that'd be an issue. Two thousand years ago, it was really an issue. I mean, you're talking about before you had any kind of real modern medicine or you had uh, modern wheelchairs and things like that. A person who was paralyzed, man, they were. I mean, they were at the house and that was about it, unless someone carried them literally from place to place he was probably a poor man too just by the description of the map that they carried him in on this is a guy that had a lot of problems and I want to tell you today 2000 years ago you've got friends you've got family members who have problems you got problems too but you know people that have problems you know people who are sick you know people who are poor you know people who are having financial problems even though they live in a big nice house and drive fancy cars they got Financial problems, they've got marital problems, they're depressed, they're struggling spiritually. You, everyone in this room knows somebody who, if they died today, would not spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. You and I know people who have problems. And friend, I want to tell you, if you are a Christ follower this morning, you are called to be a difference maker. Did you know that? If you're not a Christian, our goal is always to help you find Christ. If you are a Christian, understand this, no matter who you are, God wants you to be a superhero. God wants you to be a difference maker in the lives of other people. You say, well, I'm young. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're making a difference. If you're a mom and dad, let me tell you, your number one job is to be a difference maker In the lives of your kids. If you have grandkids, it's to be a difference maker in the lives of the people in your sphere of influence. People got problems, and God left you here for one reason is to be a difference maker in their lives. Okay? Now, here's where it starts getting a little dicey. To be a difference maker, you have to be willing to get involved. Okay? Number two, you've got to be willing. Okay, here's what we do. I'll pray for you. Hey, that's great. We're going to see later praying is a form of help. But a lot of times we pray for people we can do more. Or here's what a lot of us do. We don't get involved. We don't pray much. We just criticize and critique those who are involved. We sit back and decide how they could have done it better and how if they were smarter they would have done it this way. Difference makers are people that not only pray, but they get involved. They're willing to get involved. And that's what we see right off the bat in this story with these men as they were willing to get involved. In verse 3, some men, unknown, unnamed people, will only find out in heaven who they were, came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get the, him to Jesus because of the crowd... They made an opening in the roof, we're going to see more of this in a moment, above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat, the paralyzed man was lying on. Here was a guy that desperately needed help. And four guys, again, the Bible does not tell us their names. Isn't that interesting? I mean, if you'd have been one of those guys or girls, wouldn't you have liked to have had your name in there? Pete, Frank, Debbie, and Julie brought the paralyzed guy, Joseph. To Jesus. How, you would. That'd been cool. But more importantly, the name is written in heaven and God knows who they were. But these guys, these guys did not sit back and say, you know what? This is the job of the priest and the Pharisees. By the way, they weren't going to do much in Jesus' day. They didn't sit back and, and say, well, maybe Jesus will come to his house at some time. They didn't sit back and critique on how Jesus or the disciples could do it better or differently. They just said, you know, this guy's got a problem. We're not only going to pray for him, we're going to grab the ends of his mat, and we're going to carry him to Jesus. Isn't that cool? So that's what difference makers do. Several years ago at Princeton uh, University, Princeton has a theological school. Princeton's an Ivy League school. And in that school, they have a preacher's training school. And the, the preaching class... At the, the university this fall, when this took place, the professor set up the students. This is great. It wouldn't have been great if you had been a student. But in a typical preaching class, a lot of times what they'll do is if you've got 15 students, they'll say, okay, 7 of you or, or 10 of you, whatever, are going to preach on the story, this story, this story, whatever. They were given the story of the Good Samaritan. About 20 of them were. They were going to preach on that story in Luke throughout the course of that semester. But here's how the professor set them up. Before they were going to preach, as they were coming into the building where their class was, there was an actor laying outside of the building, dirty, hadn't shaved, hadn't bathed in a few days, acting now, but he looked the part of a kind of a bum, of a hobo. And he looked like he was sick, he was coughing, he was asking people for help. Ninety percent of the preaching students who were going to preach the story of the Good Samaritan about helping the guy falling in the ditch, walked right past that guy to go in to preach their sermon on helping the needy. Two of them actually physically stepped over him to go into the classroom to preach. Doesn't that sound a little bit like us? There's somebody with a problem. i got to go to church. <laughs> now, you can miss church every week helping somebody with a problem, so don't be careful with that too. i got, I got my prayer time right now. Call me back later. I know it's an emergency, but just hold, hold your, put pressure on the wound. I'll be there in an hour. <laughs> All right, I'd love to help you, but I've got to go to a Bible study. Bible studies are great. How many of us are like that, though? We just don't want to get involved. It's getting involved. It starts getting messy, doesn't it? It starts getting difficult. You're going to be, listen, you're going to be criticized when you get involved. And you're not when you're sitting up in the stands pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong. I read part of a book this week with a horrible story in it. It took place in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. The person telling this story was a teenager when it happened and was telling the story years later. Apparently, their church, set by a train depot, where as as the the beginning of the the Nazis exterminating the Jewish people. And Sunday after Sunday, in this church, I'm sure with the windows open in the summer and the fall and the spring, they could hear... These, Nazi, these Jewish people, their neighbors, their, their business associates, their fellow students, they could hear them being pushed into train cars like cows. They could hear their screams and their cries and their pleads for help. They didn't know exactly what was going on, but they knew every time they got on the train, they never came back. And when this person was asked, what did you and your church do when the screams would start and the train whistle would blow? And you know what the guy said? We just sang louder. We just sang louder. We didn't want to get involved. Wasn't our problem. By the way, the Nazis eventually turned on the Christians too. We just sang louder. Several years ago, I talked to a lady in Texas, a wonderful elderly lady about a family member of theirs. And I asked them, I said, do you believe this person is a Christian? This person was pretty active in church and served in their church. And they looked at me and said, I don't have a clue. I haven't known this person for years. I don't have a clue if they're a Christian. I said, will you talk to them? Will you ask them if they're a Christian? I said, no way am I getting involved in that. No way. See, that's what we do. But it starts at your age. And then it, it, it works back to, to, to the gray hairs and the no hairs. If we get in the habit of not wanting to get involved and to let somebody else do it, we will spend the rest of our lives not getting involved and letting somebody else do it. I heard a great story of a, a family driving home from church. And and the, the parents would always ask the kids, what did the preacher talk about? What did you learn? This is a great thing to do. Just please don't email me and tell me because it would hurt my feelings probably. And... On, this, on the way home, the preacher had preached on the Good Samaritan, out of Luke, about the man helping the guy in trouble. And the dad asked the son, he said, son, what did you get from the sermon? And the little boy's statement was classic. He said, daddy, here's what I got. If you're a Christian and I'm in trouble, you're supposed to help me. If I'm a Christian and you're in trouble, I'm supposed to help you. I want to ask you this morning how many of us are willing to get involved to make a difference in the lives of others? Here's the third thing, and it doesn't get any easier. You've got to be willing to make a great effort. You see, to get involved is the first step, it's the, it's the getting there, but you've got to understand this that it takes a great effort to make a big difference. It takes a great effort to make a big difference. In verse 2 through 4, these are such classic verses. They they gathered there. There was no room, not even outside, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four. They could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus. After digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on into the room. Okay, let's be honest. If four of us decided today to help somebody... And we got there and the room was so crowded, what would we do? We'd say, It's not God's will. It's not God's will today. We'll come back later. Here's probably what Wayne and Josh and Justin and I would do we'll just leave him here and let someone else help him. I'm teasing. Wouldn't we do that though? Not these guys. Let me give you a little background about a typical Palestinian house in Jesus' day. It was a one-room house, and and, and the roof of these homes was kind of like an extra room. By the way, if you had eight kids, and you're married, and you got one room, how many of you want an extra room somewhere? Amen. You absolutely do. One room. Think about that. Think about that. Most of the homes had stairways on the outside of the house, so you could actually get up on the roof without ever getting into the house. That's what these guys did. They looked in, they said, "We, we can't, we can't get to Jesus." And they didn't quit. They didn't say, "Well, it's not God's will." Let's just pray about it more, leave him here, let somebody else help him. They said, let's carry him upstairs. They get upstairs, and then they start doing something absolutely incredible. It literally says they start unroofing the roof. To roof a roof is to make a roof. They start tearing it up. Now, a typical roof on these homes, they probably laid beams about three feet apart, trusses about three feet apart for for the roof. Then they would take mats and they would take grass and then eventually they put clay and they would roll it real tight so you had a good firm roof. These guys get up on top of the roof. They obviously find the trusses, they find the beams, and then probably, you know, these had to be bubbas. They have knives on them. So they begin, you know, they begin to dig and can you imagine this? Jesus is preaching, and all of a sudden, mud starts, it hits Allie, a big piece, in the head. And then another one hits Marley in the head, and everybody's starting to look up and go, what in the world? So you've got you to gotta imagine, and probably this took even longer. So, I mean, Jesus is preaching. I hope Josh, Josh just, like, kept preaching. Did you notice that? It's like, Josh didn't even realize it happened. Uh, Jesus probably, you know, may have stopped at some point. And they, they lower this guy down there. How many of you agree that's making an effort? I mean, that's not only getting in the game, that, that is making an effort to make a huge difference. I read a story a few years ago. It happened in Chicago, right outside of Chicago. A, a little boy was pushing his older brother to the hospital. He was in a wheelchair. He was sick. Something happened, and the wheelchair turned over, and, and the, his crippled brother... Fell into a ditch, and the little boy stood and tried and tried and tried to wave cars down. No one would stop. He picks up a brick. A jaguar comes driving by. Boom! He hits the car, and guess what? The guy stopped. Wouldn't you stop too? And the guy, you know, he said, "I'm going to just kill this kid and take him to the police." And then the kid said, "Look, and I'm sorry, but no one would stop. My brother, he may die." I had to get somebody to help him. Now, I'm not encouraging you to tear the roof up or throw a brick at a car today. But but you know what? In in 99% of the time, those things aren't necessary. But to make a difference is going to require that you and I step up and step out and do some extreme things. Listen, you know what? There is a real devil. And he's fighting. He's fighting you hard. He's fighting me hard. He's fighting those you love hard. And and to reach them and to help them is not going to be easy. It's going to take some effort. You know, what's interesting in the Bible... In the Bible, it, when it talks about helping people come to Christ, it, it describes it as being a fisher of men. But I think it's broader. I think any time we're trying to really help people, in one sense, we are a fisher of men. Almost everybody in here has fished before. Now, when I grew up, we were redneck fishermen. We didn't have boats. We, just, we were poor fishermen. We went and sat on the side of the, the pond you know, and did this or, or, or watched the court for eight hours. And you know I enjoyed fishing but but if you fish you need to understand some things. You can't stay in the air conditioning and go fishing, correct? You got to go where the fish are. You can't go and say, "You know what? I'm going to use donuts today and these fish they're going to like it. They're going to eat it." You got to use what the fish what the fish will bite. And the way I grew up fishing, you were going to get bit by mosquitoes. You were going to have to realize that there are snakes and snapping turtles somewhere around you at almost any point. You're going to hook yourself with a, uh, a fishing lure at some point. There's no doubt that's going to happen. If you catch a catfish, someone's going to get fenned. You're going to go home smelly and bloody, and then. But at least you can, bring, at least you can come home and say you really caught a big one, can't you? And it's worth it. It's fun. But, you know, when you're trying to help other people, it's going to take some effort. It's not going to always be easy. Uh, this week, I, I thought about some words when I thought about what, what's involved in helping others in the effort. And one, one word is just the word sweat. It's, it, it's going to take some energy to help other people. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. You know, man, I would love to fix your problems and for you to fix my problems in a 30-minute sitcom. Wouldn't that be cool? Isn't it cool how on TV a couple can be wonderful in a terrible fight and everything's great in 30 minutes? Really about 22 minutes when you include commercials. That's not real life, though, is it? It takes time. It takes prayer. Listen, if you're going to make a difference in the lives of other people, you're going to have to pray. Here's the fourth thing. It takes unconditional love. You know, if you're going to help people, you've got to love them unconditionally. Now, this is very important. Unconditional love is not unconditional acceptance of bad behavior. So we get those confused. Some people say, well, if I love you unconditionally, then anything you do is okay. And that's fine. No, that's not true. You can hate what someone does. Unconditional love says you love them anyway. Okay? Here's the next word that goes right with this, and this is Honesty. You know how some people in your life need to be desperately helped is somebody needs to be honest with them. Love them unconditionally, but be very honest. Tell them the truth. And here's the last thing. You've got to leave your pride behind. I want to tell you, there was some misunderstandings when the roof got torn up. Probably at Peter's house. Wouldn't you agree? Peter's wife may have had some questions later on about that. Peter may have been saying, Jesus, you know, man, I love you, but you healed my mother-in-law a few weeks ago, and now you tore up my roof. <laughs> Fix it, Jesus. <laughs> Fix it. But you've got to leave your pride behind. You, you You cannot sit prim and proper, unwilling to be vulnerable, and make a difference in the lives of other people, okay? And then here's what brings it all together. Ultimately, we need to get people to Jesus, okay? We're going to get involved in their life. We're going to be willing to make a great effort. It's going to cost us time. may cost us money. And ultimately, people need Jesus Christ. Verse 5 through 12. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven, now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, here's these creepy guys, the religious leaders. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. You know, they weren't helping getting the paralyzed guy to Jesus. But they're critical. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic. Your sins are forgiven, are forgiven. Get up, take your mat, and walk. In verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view. Of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. See, guys, when, when they lowered that, that man in, Jesus, seeing their hearts, he could see that they had the faith, the repentance, the surrender to be saved. And basically, what he said to this guy, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. You are saved. You are saved right here now. You're now a child of God. What an awesome thing. You see... What this guy needed even more than physical healing, and he was going to get that, is he needed spiritual healing. And what people in your life need more than anything else, they may need a lot of other things. They may need an electrician, a mechanic, a counselor, or a doctor. But ultimately, they need Jesus Christ. Now, it's pretty neat, too, or pretty bad. The religious leaders didn't like all that was going on. And when they hear Jesus say... Your sins are forgiven. They, oh, no, 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 no. Only God can do that. In, in the Jewish thought even the coming Messiah, if Jesus was the Messiah, he couldn't forgive sins. See, what they didn't understand is that Jesus, the Messiah, is and was God. But Jesus knew, you know, I can, I can forgive this man. And everybody can leave the room today and they'll not even know if I did or not. It's subjective. It's, that's a heart thing. But Jesus said, you know, I'm going to prove that I healed this guy not only spiritually but physically. He said, get up and go home. You're healed. Can you imagine the scene, a guy who may, may, maybe had not walked in years, he pushes back his friends, he pushes up and he stands up. and he walks out because some people loved him enough to get him to Jesus. What people in your world and my world need more than anything else is Jesus. And it's not easy to get people to Jesus. One of my previous churches, I had a lady, probably 75 or 80, wasn't in good health, But she would would regularly drive 30 minutes one way on Sundays and get one of her granddaughters. And she would drive 30 minutes back to our community so the child could go to church. Their mom and dad weren't going to take them to church. Then Sunday night when church was over, she'd drive 30 minutes back, take her home, and drive 30 minutes back home. She'd spend two hours on a Sunday driving back and forth. One Sunday night, 1993, that little girl walked down to the front of the church during the invitation and gave her life to Jesus Christ. I don't even remember the little girl's name, but I know this. I know someday she's going to be in heaven because she had a grandmother that loved her enough to get involved in her life and make a great effort to not only help her, but to bring her to Jesus In my opinion, that grandmother's a superhero. I want to ask you this morning, are you and I willing to get involved, make the effort to make a difference? Let's pray. Christian, I would just ask you to examine your heart right now where you are and what you're going to do with what you've seen this morning. And if you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian, I want to invite you right where you're seated to pray with me and just say, Jesus, I want to turn from my sins. God, I I repent of my sins. And I believe, Jesus, that you're God's Son who died and who arose for me. And I ask you today to come into my heart. Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in a minute. And I'm going to challenge you to respond to what God said to you. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that this morning. Will you step out? Will you come down? Let one of our ministers help you with this decision. Do that today. Maybe you'd like to join our church family. One way you can do that today. One way it would be just to come down in a moment, talk to a minister. We would love for you to do that this morning. You come and do that. Christian, maybe it'll be where you're standing, or maybe at the altar maybe talking to a minister, you need to say to God, God, take my life and make me a difference maker. I promise you, if you'll pray that, God will certainly answer that prayer. Let's stand. As God leads you, respond. We're waiting on you this morning.